once again, Happy New Year, almost. So, I suppose I, every once in a while I'm supposed to bring a multicultural element to our church. So Koreans, we say, Actually, I said it really badly right there. But it uh, means, may you receive many new heboks. I don't know what hebok means. So, but you're supposed to receive many new of them. No? That's not what it means? Blessings. All right, I could have guessed that. So, thank you, Debbie Morkin. So, um, and we are in anticipation of this new year that's upon us. We are uh, just continuing our series on marriage and what the Bible, what God has to say on marriage. And the topic today is forgiveness. And you know, this doesn't just apply to marriages. This applies to every family relationships um, and every friendship. And so just where I talk about marriage, and if you're not married, not yet married, or, you know, please just think about how this still meets you where you are right now and how truly the world does need forgiveness. In fact, let's start by... I'm going to start by asking you to think about someone who's sinned against you recently. And a lot of you have just had family gatherings for Christmas, and so this shouldn't be hard at all. <laughs> and uh, so think about someone, and you have, might have dozens, but just think about one person who's sinned against you recently. And, you know, how did they do it? What did they say? And then, how did it make you feel then? How does it make you feel now? Um, just asking for one, because maybe God is bringing this up in your heart right now and in your memory for a reason. And our passage today comes to us from the gospel, according to Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. Matthew, chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. You'll find it in the insert in your bulletin. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me and I will pay you back. 
but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. And so it's clear to all of us that the Bible, that Jesus Christ speaks of the importance, the necessity of forgiveness in all of life. And we will apply that today also in marriage. Let's call on the Lord for help right now. Father in heaven, Lord, right here in this parable of Jesus, we see how seriously you take forgiveness. And you call us to forgive even as you forgive us. And so, Lord, open our hearts and open our minds to your word this morning that we might see, that we might hear, that we might be changed and live out this forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ and give that same forgiveness to others. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, Peter asks, how many times do I have to forgive? And he thought he was being big by saying seven. And if you're married, you've asked that same question. How many times do I have to forgive? But we've talked about, as we started this series, the purpose of marriage. And the purpose of marriage is to make you, make your spouse more and more like Jesus Christ. That is why God has given us marriage. It is the most effective relationship through which that will happen. Friendships are good and important. Brothers and sisters, parents and children. But marriage... You see, kids grow up and they can get out of the house. Friends can stop being friends. But marriage works the best because it's like this steel cage put over the wrestling ring, all right? And you're trapped. And you got to work it out. And you have to work it out because what's the alternative? Why do you need to forgive? Because there is sin. And what does sin do? Sin breaks relationships. In fact, in the Garden of Eden, we see how sin broke that most important and first relationship, that between us and God. Sin breaks relationships. And then you can see in Adam and Eve, what's the first thing that they started doing? They started blaming each other. She made me do it. And Adam leaves Eve hanging out in the wind. And sin breaks relationships today. 
But there is a counter to sin. There is an antidote. And that is forgiveness. Sin is overcome by forgiveness. You know, many of you know that when I was courting Kim, you know, I was, there was something that I, I had to tell her that I didn't want to tell her, and I kind of kept from her until I was going to propose. And it was that I was financially irresponsible, and I had about $60,000 in credit card debt. And it wasn't from doing, like, crazy sinful things. I mean, it wasn't from, like, I don't know, hookers or anything, but, you know... <laughs> $60,000 of debt. You know, most of it was from, well, settle down. Most of it was from, you know, just living beyond my means. As a second lieutenant in the Air Force, my first duty station was Boston, and it was the second most pl- impor- uh, expensive place to live in the military at that time. I was almost eligible for food stamps on a full-time, uh, you know, second lieutenant salary. And so, in racked up a lot of credit card from groceries and eating out because the checks, the cash had to go to pay rent. Uh, it wasn't even Apple products, those of you who might be thinking that. Stop judging. Because uh, I hadn't owned any Apple products until much, much later. And so there was this debt that I was bringing to Kim. And... She was faced with, all right, what does she do with that? How does she go about forgiving that debt? I asked her if she, if she wanted me to declare bankruptcy before we got married so that we could start with a clean slate, and she said no. She said, you, you incurred all of this, and we're going to pay it back together. And Lord willing, in about three, maybe four months, we'll actually be done. So, with that, that's going to serve as a foil for us as we go through this passage. And the three points today in this message are forgiveness, what it isn't, what it is and why we need it, and lastly, some pointers on how we do it. First, what it isn't. You know, forgiveness, even in the church, gets a bad rap because we come at it like it's an easy thing. You know, pastors and counselors who aren't being considerate and thoughtful abuse this and say, you just have to forgive to the person who's been sinned against. You've got to let it go. In fact, when you see how much your debt has been forgiven by God, can't you forgive? You see... That may be absolutely true. Just like in that botched evangelism attempt that I showed you in the announcements. If you're not saved, are you going to hell? Yes. If you don't know Jesus, are you forever apart from God? Yes. Do you need the Bible? Yes. But don't we know that there's just so much more to that story? You know, Ken Sandy, who wrote The Peacemaker that a lot of our church studied recently, said that forgiveness is not a feeling. You know, that $60,000 debt didn't disappear when Kim said, 
it's okay, I still love you. It's all good. I don't feel bad about it. You know, what good would that be? You know, it's like getting Novocaine for cancer. It's not forgetting. I wasn't forgiven by Kin saying, don't worry, I'm just not going to think about it. I mean, you, you take care of it, and, and we'll, we'll still be able to move on. Forgiveness is not excusing sin. You know, can you think of anything worse than when someone sins against you, and you confront them, and they excuse their own sin, saying, what's the big deal? I mean, if things weren't bad at that point, that, that's when they explode. And lastly, forgiveness is not abandonment. You know, Ken Sandy again cites in his excellent book that some people come at forgiveness saying, I want to forgive the person and just never think about them ever again. All right, let's, let's take that to its logical conclusion. You know, what, if, what would happen if God forgave you in exactly the same way you're forgiving this other person? What if God said, you know what, I sent my son Jesus for you, and I forgive you, I just never want to think about you ever again. How's that work? And you see that that can't possibly be the definition of biblical forgiveness. It is not any of those things. But what it is and why we need it is hard to hear. It's hard to hear because forgiveness is hard. Forgiveness is calling sin, sin. Louis Smeads, John quoted him a few weeks ago. Louis Smeads, who wrote The Art of Forgiveness, said, When we forgive evil, we do not excuse it. We do not tolerate it. We do not smother it. We look evil full in the face and call it what it is. Let its horror shock and stun and enrage us, and only then do we forgive it? See, there is no forgiveness of sins that is generic and amorphous. It's not like broad-range antibiotics because you don't know what's wrong with you. Jesus Christ died on the cross for our specific sins. He knew what he was dying for. And can you fathom then the immensity of what he endured? The catalog of every human sin in all human history. From Adam and Eve until Jesus Christ comes. And so, in forgiving sin, we name it sin. 
which means that we can't just let it go. It's not a feeling. It is an actual canceling of debt. Because that's what happens. When someone sins against you, they owe a debt to you. They should not have done that wrong. Even from the time that we are kids, we recognize this with the entire, it's not fair. We know. We recognize wrong. And when someone has wronged you and sinned against you, then they are a debtor to you. And so then forgiveness is taking that that wrong that you legitimately can hold. It's not made up. And canceling it. Again, Smead says that forgiveness is the process by which you surrender your right to get even. So if you've ever thought the words, oh, I'll forgive, but I'm not going to forget. All you're doing is amortizing that sin. All you're doing is making an installment plan. Maybe they, don't, they won't have to pay it all right now, right there and then and there. But it'll come with interest. Here in this passage, you know, Jesus Christ calls this the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like this king who canceled this servant's debt of 10,000 talents. I looked it up. That's about $2,250,000,000 today. More than can ever be paid back in 50 lifetimes. The king who was owed that said that he surrenders his right to just compensation. Which means then that forgiveness, it's not easy because it is costly. You are giving up something. You are giving up your right to get even, to get them back. That's what forgiveness is. And, you know, just even a king, $2 billion. You know, who, who can just kind of say, don't need it, can do without it. And so that cost goes on. For, which means then that forgiveness is not forgetting. It is a remembering a godly and holy remembering. Again, Smead says, forgiving doesn't erase the bitter past. A healed memory is not a deleted memory. Instead, forgiving what we cannot forget creates a new way to remember. We change the memory of our past into a hope for our future. And the best way that I can explain this is when Jesus appeared in his resurrection to doubting Thomas. All the other apostles were gathered together in one place. Jesus appeared to them, and Thomas wasn't there. Who knows where he was, why he wasn't grieving with the others. And so now he says, I'm not going to believe it until I see it. 
and Jesus graciously appears to Thomas. And what does he tell him? Thomas, put your fingers into my hands and into my side and believe. Jesus' resurrected body carries scars. The scars still remain. Though God will not hold our sins against us, the scars still remain. And even those scars, what do they tell us? Jesus having those scars from then for, and for all eternity, what does that say? We are forgiven. And the one sinned against becomes the monument that forever declares our forgiveness in him. And so far from forgetting, our forgiveness is a divine remembering that says, though you have wronged me, I will not hold this against you. Which is what made this servant so abominable in the eyes of the king. Because he had been given this great gift of grace. Grace, what is that? It's a gift. A gift that is not deserved. You know, I can say Christmas gifts. I don't know, a lot of us may deserve the Christmas gifts we received. You know, for all the pain and anguish we caused each other. Or maybe our kids are really, really good. I don't know, but... But grace, John reminded me yesterday, is merit given when demerit is deserved. And this servant was given 10,000 talents worth of that grace. And what does he do with that? Instead of tattooing that on his forehead, on the back of his hands, on his palms, on the inside of his eyelids so he never forgets, He goes to his fellow servant and only remembers the hundred denarii, one day's worth of wages that he's owed. And in doing that, he pisses away 10,000 talents of forgiveness for $50 worth of satisfaction. Now, that's the message of forgiveness. And when Jesus Christ calls this the kingdom of heaven, he is saying that heaven is filled with forgiven sinners. Is that what you desire? In fact, in your marriage, when you are forgiving each other your sins daily, you are creating for yourselves a little taste of heaven on earth where you forgive and are forgiven. And for those of you who have had hard times in marriage, I know that you can understand my words that 
What is that place where all you receive is judgment and condemnation? Well, in eternity, we call that hell. And where you've only seen that in your marriage, you can say that you've seen little glimpses of that. Forgiveness is this gift. And our king is telling us, prize this gift above all else. Cherish it and love it and show that you will cherish and love it by doing it. You know, they say that you don't know something unless you can teach someone else how to do it. Again, a desperate reason why I want you to come out to this evangelism series that we're going to be doing. Because unless you can teach it, unless you can do it, do you really own it? And forgiveness is that way. Unless you are forgiving, constantly forgiving, the Bible is saying you don't really have it. Because if you had it, you'd do it. If you had it and knew the worth of what you had, you would show it off and do it. And so... Our last point, some pointers on how we do it. And I already know I'm going to get flack for not covering it comprehensively. There's just no way. These are just some pointers. In fact, I think I wrote that in the insert. Some, as a disclaimer. So, what are we doing when we're holding on to something that we don't want to forgive? Our hearts are telling us we want to hold on to this. We want to hold on to it. We want to protect this little thing. Maybe we're trying to protect ourselves from future injury and just putting up walls saying, I'm not going to forgive this. I refuse to forgive it because I just know it's going to happen again. And your unforgiveness becomes the spotlight for you and for the sin that you are holding in your heart. where you need to seek your own forgiveness from God. So the first thing that you have to do in preparing to forgive others is asking God for eyes that see your own sin first. Because we're blind to our sins, aren't we? You know, we make a huge deal out of someone else's one sin. We're really good at that. And we're also really good at minimizing our own sin. Saying, yeah, I may have done this, but you. Ask the Lord for eyes that see your own sin first. And then you'll be far more likely to look sympathetically on someone else's sin, won't you? You know, you haven't. John told me this very helpfully yesterday. You don't reduce someone just to that one sin. You remember. You remember that there is more to them than that. Just like there is more. Thank God there is more to you than just the sin that you have committed against him. It's like this. When before your parents, you read on the, you see on the news how some parent, some mom or dad left their kid to just die in the car in the summertime, and you're in horror, and you're enraged. It's only when you become a parent yourself 
and realize how tired you always are and how frazzled that your brain always is. That you can look at that same news report and say, there but for the grace of God go I. Lord, be with that family. Recognize your sin. You know, Matthew chapter 7, we just did the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and ignore the log, the plank in your own? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. See, Jesus isn't saying don't go after sin in someone else. But remember that the biggest sin that you'll ever see in your life is the sin coming out from your own heart. And as you proceed, ask, how do I help this person become more like Jesus? Not making them pay or get even. This is hard, again. But how do I make them more like Jesus? And you do that by first asking, how do I be more like Jesus in this instance? And that's what saves you from trying to manipulate someone else. You know, manipulation isn't really usually effective. If it's working for you, you know, just, I don't know, ask. Is it working for you? The times that... Uh, The times that Kim was angry at me, slamming the door, you know, on cabinets and things from, you know, when I'd done something stupid again, like rung up another 50 or 100, because it's not $60,000 of debt that we've paid back. It's probably, you know, it's 10 years of living on top of that. So, you know, trying to, trying to hem me in, trying to cause me to feel guilty, those weren't the times that those words fell on fertile soil but the times that she desired and she expressed her desire for me to be like our Savior and to live frugally and to think about the future and to think about our kids and th to think about how wonderful it will be to be out of this bondage of debt so we could go literally anywhere that God wants us to go in the world and not have to worry about paying creditors back. The times that she ignited a desire in my heart for more. Now, don't make it easy for someone to sin against you. Forgiveness, again, gets a bad rap because it makes us look like wallflowers or doormats that people just get to step on you. It's not the case. Jesus Christ does not continue to be on that cross, does he, paying for our sins and suffering. He is living out his victory at the right hand of the Father. He is victorious over death. He is not ashamed and naked. He is risen. And he forgives. And what does that look like for us? You know, those of you you know, who 
you know, may have been abused or maybe are experiencing abuse in any manner of relationship. I pray that our church is a place of comfort and refuge for you. I know it has been for people, and I pray that it will always continue to be as we seek to shelter and to protect the weak and the injured. Don't make it easy. If someone hits you, you know, and strikes you in the face, Scripture says, turn the other cheek. But John, a few months back, explained, you know what? The Bible is talking about a posture where you're not really letting the person get away with hitting you again, even as you're not just popping them back. Forgiveness doesn't mean continually letting them, someone else, sin against you again and again. Because that's not making them more like Jesus Christ, is it? And that's the purpose. That is what we desire with forgiveness. And so setting up boundaries, like Kim set up for me, you know, budgets and cutting up credit cards, all right, that went a long way in hemming in my sinful tendencies. You know, and was it out of trying to make me a legalist? No. But was it understanding that there are some things that are going to help? Yes. And so even for a time, leaving someone so that they can no longer harm you, this is grace. Keeping short accounts. All right, the book of, letter to, of Ephesians says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And the picture that comes to mind is the 1980s film Gremlins. Because these little gremlins that look all cute in the you know, daylight, daytime, when you feed them at night, that's when they turn into monsters. Letting the sun set on your anger is another way of saying keeping lists. You know what lists are for? Lists are for lawsuits where you're setting up every wrong ever done against you. It's preparing for a fight. And that's not like preparing for the cold like I did today wearing long johns under the suit. You know, I don't really need it right now, and so all I'm doing is sweating. But no harm, no foul, whatever. All right, lists, keeping, grudges. That's preparing for a fight. That's approaching someone, putting on the brass knuckles, holding the tire iron, all right, and with a biker chain you know, around your waist. If you approach someone that way, chances are you're going to get into a fight. Scripture calls us to do something else, to settle our accounts every day, to not have that held against someone else, to say, this is forgiven, it is done, and I hold it against you no more. I bear the cost, I know the cost that I bear, and I forgive you this day, and then tomorrow, that day, and again and again. You know, if you're going to keep a kind of list, keep a love list. Keep a list that catalogs what the other has done for you, in love for you, 
remembering the good of the other person and what God is doing in that other person. Because then that'll go back and help remind you that they aren't only this sin against you. And lastly, seek the Lord every day in devotion and worship. And you ask, what does that have to do with forgiving others? Because if you don't come to the Lord in prayer and reading his word and singing and worship every day, every morning, then all you see is the hundred things that have been done against you and not the billion things that you have done against God. If you don't do this daily and in the mornings, then you don't sing 10,000 reasons. You don't sing amazing grace that I have. You don't have this astonishment. And can it be that I should gain? And brothers and sisters, that's exactly what you need if you're going to forgive. Forgiving is a radical thing. It's a challenging thing. It's a hard thing. And the world does not understand it. The world does not understand giving up something that you're owed And the only way that you can find motivation for this is if you come to the cross of Jesus Christ every day and see that the Lord has given you infinite reasons for you to forgive others. You know, Kim took on all of my debt when we got married. And she can tell you all these things that I've just said. That it is a forgiving of debt because she took on all of my debt. It wasn't just mine anymore, it was ours. And that wasn't just an event, a one-time deal. Okay, now we're happy. It was that daily process. Every month, because who are we going to let pay the bills? The guy with the $60,000 of debt or the one who had no debt at all? Every month. Well, we had so many. So really, it was every day that she wrote the checks or online paid the bills. With tears, she was paying the cost of forgiveness. And every time that she withheld her anger because couldn't get the house till much later, and then even then it wasn't much of a house, and... We're here in Long Island in a two-bedroom apartment, and we've got two kids, one of which would really do well with being locked in his own room. And she forgives. And she has made of me someone who also hates my debt, and someone who also now, at this point, says, wait, do I need that, or is it just not wise? And has she been God's instrument of sanctification in my life through forgiveness? Yes, amen. And because I see my forgiveness, I have reasons to forgive. And we all have this in Jesus Christ. We have 10,000 reasons in Jesus Christ. And so the question then comes to you, how do I help my spouse my friend, my family member, 
see Jesus and follow Jesus in forgiving them as I have been forgiven. I don't want to forgive and forget them any longer. I want to forgive as I have been forgiven. And this comes to us. You know, our next last, last song is from the inside out. This change comes from the inside out. We need the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ to come and invade our darkness that would desire to hold our little debts and to say, Lord, change me that I see and hold on to the unquenchable light of Jesus Christ by which I am saved and forgiven that I may forgive others. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it's a beautiful thing to realize that every time that we forgive each other, we are displaying a little glimpse of heaven we are, because we are displaying what Jesus Christ has done for us. And we know that we are too little for this task. We cannot do it. We will not do it unless we remember that our sins are forgiven, our debt is canceled, and we have been set free. And Lord, let us not be like the servant in the parable who holds on to this little debt and forgets the great forgiveness because we know that there is no forgiveness from not turning to Jesus Christ. But Lord, let us rejoice and delight right now and every day, every morning, every opportunity when someone sins against us that though there may be scars, we remember the one who bears our scars in heaven and who is not unashamed to call us his own. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Please rise.